Hello and welcome to PW Kids Cast, the children's book podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors and illustrators creating books for children and teens. I'm Emma Cantor, Associate Children's Book Editor at Publishers Weekly. Today I'm speaking with author Robert Rapino about his new novel, Spark and the League of Ursus, due out on April 21 from Cork Books, which is sponsoring this podcast. Robert Rapino is the author of Mort, Cul-de-Sac, and Dark, which make up the critically acclaimed adult sci-fi series War with No Name. After serving in the Peace Corps, he earned an MFA in creative writing from Emerson College. Rapino lives in New York, where he works as an editor at an academic publisher and teaches at the Gotham Writers Workshop. This is his middle grade debut. In Spark and the League of Ursus, a teddy bear named Spark, who is less cuddly toy and more fierce warrior, vows to protect her owner Loretta from monsters. Loretta thinks she's getting too old for her teddy bear, but then a new monster arrives that changes everything. Thank you for joining me, Robert. Thanks so much for having me. What led you to cross over into middle grade storytelling? Well, uh, I was I was looking to write something that I would actually enjoy writing for one thing, um, and I think the the you know the I had been working on stuff that was a little uh, a, a bit of a downer, and um, I wanted to write something fun, and uh, and I also wanted to write something that was relatively short. You know, the, it was, there was something very satisfying a book about a book that you can wrap up in less than two hundred pages. Um, and I really just, I, I grew up with, like a lot of people had, had a whole, uh, league of, of, uh, teddy bears and, and, uh, stuffed animals that, you know, in my imagination, they were, they were like our, my protectors and went on adventures with them and things like that. So that seemed like that, that crew of, of that, like ragtag crew would make for a good, uh, good team of heroes in, in a, in a book. So I think it was a combination of those things. Have you found that your process differs at all when writing for children as opposed to adults? I don't think the process is that different. I think you're still, um, I mean, it, the, the foundation of, of all these stories is, you know, a character who really wants something and, and who has obstacles in their way and they have to make decisions to get around those obstacles, um, you know, and, and they learn as they move, go along. I think those principles still apply. I think that in the um, in the case of a children's book, one of the really satisfying things about about it is I, I love the fact that I I could start it right away. The monster shows up right away. There's no real setup. There's no real uh, you know. There's we're not spending too much time on um, uh, you know describing the setting and and other things like that. Like the monster shows up right away, boom, and we're in it. So. That part of it, I, I guess, was a change from some of the other work I've done. The book is being pitched as Toy Story meets Stranger Things, and it's easy to see why. What are some of your creative influences? Well, I, I should say uh, that when I originally discussed this with both my agent and with Quirk, I said it's uh, Toy Story meets Poltergeist. And the people at Quirk were like, no, 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 no. It's Toy Story meets Stranger Things. Uh, and then I think they may have whispered, okay, boomer under their breath. I don't know, but, uh, you know, it, I guess influences for this one in particular, um, the, the 
the children in the book are uh, amateur filmmakers. They make little movies. So, uh, and their parents are the kind of parents that let them watch pretty much whatever they want. So there are a lot of uh, references to, you know, some of the movies that I grew up with, like uh, Jaws or uh, some John Carpenter kind of uh, uh, movies. Um, there's some Star Wars references in there as well. So they're influenced by the, that sort of popular culture. The monster itself, I think, would be something that John Carpenter would have done in The Thing, probably, like a sort of creepy, incomprehensible form that's chasing them. Uh, so those, I think that, that in, in, a, in a way, I think film influenced this book more so than, than other books, probably. Backing up a bit, what inspired you to make the transition from the Peace Corps to pursuing a career in books? Well, um, you know, I, I like to think that they're both connected. I mean, when I, when I went into the Peace Corps, I was hoping to have an experience where I, I, that I thought would be worth writing about. Um, that wasn't the only reason why I joined, but, um, but you know, I wanted to see the world. I, was, I hadn't really traveled much until I went into the Peace Corps. Actually, the, I remember talking with someone uh, not long after I joined and they were asking me where I had traveled and I had to admit to them that when I went to the Peace Corps, it was the first time I'd ever been on a plane. <laughs> so I had to really, you know, that was part of just me just seeing the world really and learning different cultures, different ways of looking at things. Um, so I, I see it as connected. I felt like my, my going into the Peace Corps was, was part of my development as a writer. Um, and then when I came back from the Peace Corps, I, I ended up going back to an old job I had had in publishing. Um, I had worked for a small publisher before Peace Corps, and then when I came back, I, I uh, worked for them again in a different capacity. I actually worked in their production facility where I was uh, running the, the printing presses, which is hard for me to imagine now. But then it was from there I went into grad school. So, uh, yeah, I think that's the best way I'd describe it. <laughs> you work now as an academic editor I'm curious, how does that fit into your writing life? How do you balance the two? Well, um, I, my, my day job is uh, editing reference works. And the, the material itself is far enough removed from the fiction where it's not really interfering. It's more like informing it. You know, because the, so much of the reference work, it's just so much information and data that we're dealing with. And I feel like I can kind of pluck in interesting tidbits from all the, the work that I edit and use that in, in my fiction. Uh, I don't know if I do well if I had a, a job where I was actually editing fiction. I think when a lot of people like me go to you know, move to New York and try to work in publishing, they end up wanting to edit fiction books. And I think that would, that would mess me up, I think. I don't think I'd have the, the capacity at the end of the day to really to continue working on fiction after I've been doing it for eight or nine hours during the day. Um, but as far as balance goes, I mean, I just, I just chip away every day. I come home, uh, from work, you know, I might try to go to the gym and, then, and, uh, and then eat something. And then I just work maybe from 10 to midnight every night, maybe get a page or two. If you do that for a year, you can get a book. It's just, it just requires a lot of patience. You just have to be satisfied with just getting, a single page or some nights even a single paragraph. That's, that's still progress. And what's your relationship like with your own editor at Cork? Uh, very good. You know, we, uh, I, I think we, she, she got the book and, um, 
was really good about editing it, uh, you know, just, just making it stronger. There were some, you know, cause I, I think because it's such a plot driven book, I think there were a lot of places where I needed to slow down and talk a little bit more, especially about the human characters in it. Uh, the children, I think in the earlier drafts just were not as well developed as they could have been. And it, that was really a missed opportunity in the earlier drafts. So I think my, my editor helped a lot with, with coming up with suggestions about how we can involve the children more in both the development of the story and especially in the, the climax of the story. I think that makes it a lot more satisfying uh, and it makes it so that the, you know, the children have more of an arc than they did in the earlier drafts. So I think that's, that's probably the best way that she helped was just, just trying to open up that world of the, of the children. You also teach at Gotham Writers Workshop. What genres or forms do you focus on in your classes? I, there are two classes I teach. One is just a creative writing 101, which is just a six-week uh, class. It's mostly lecture, and we're kind of dipping our toes in the different forms of writing, you know, memoir and uh, essay writing and some fiction writing and so on. Uh, the more involved class I do is a 10-week uh, science fiction and fantasy workshop. I teach it maybe once a year, just depending on my schedule. Um, but you know, that's a class where the students are actually bringing their work in, and then we all sit around and talk about it. And that's a that's a different experience because you know I have to manage that um, process and make sure everyone's still on task and staying on topic, um, making sure that the students who bring in their work are getting the most out of that that section, you know, there, sometimes a workshop can really devolve into just minutia. And so you want to make it so that, you know, everybody's getting some value out of it and, um, and everyone's being supportive and, and, uh, and helping each other out. I try to emphasize that when I do those classes. Yeah, they they can be a lot of fun. I think uh, there, it's a lot of work cause it's, you know, you're editing and evaluating so much content, but, um, I think at the end of each class, I end up writing almost a novel's worth of uh, comments on people's stuff. So it's a lot of work, but it's fun. What's your top piece of advice that you give to students? I tell them that they, they at some point, they're going to have to learn to really embrace revision and really, if, if possible, just learn to love it. I think that revision is where most of the real writing takes place. And uh, it's hard to accept that because I think that for a lot of us, you know, because we see ourselves as artists, you tend to think of, you know, this moment of genius where you're producing this, you know, amazing work of art. But really, it's the tweaking it later that makes it really good. And um, and you have to draw inspiration from that. I mean, I, I think it took me a long time to have a moment where I revised something and that process of revision had the same satisfaction as the process of creation. I think very often people treat revision as this, this trudging, brutal process, but really it can be every bit as creative as, as just sitting down and free writing and, you know, having that moment of genius. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I would say embrace revision and learn to love it. And is there something you in turn have learned from guiding those workshops? Uh, well, I mean, the thing that I, I'm often reminded of is that I, I, I end up doing the same thing that I'm critiquing my students of doing. I mean, especially in science fiction and fantasy, there's a, there's a tendency to uh, tell rather than show because very often you're, you're, you feel obligated to, to hold the reader's hand and, and 
walk them through this new world that you're creating. And uh, it's very hard to, to just trust the reader to understand what you're doing. So I think seeing my students do that in early drafts and then looking at my own early drafts and saying, oh, God, I'm doing the same thing, uh, that, you know, I, I think I've gotten better at that particular skill of just trusting the reader, I think, as a direct result of critiquing that in my, in my, um, my writer's work. I think that's helped me recognize it in my own. Given all of these experiences, you're clearly no stranger to the publishing world. Still, have there been any surprises for you for um, publishing your first children's book? Um, any surprises? Well, I mean, I, I'm always surprised when, when my work finds a home. I'm always like, oh, good, someone's as weird as I am. This is great. Uh, that's always a pleasant surprise. And I think... Um, you know, in this case, I think I learned about a lot about young people. I don't, I don't have any children myself, so I feel like I'm at a loss here uh, in some ways when it comes to, to writing about children in the 21st century. Uh, and we, you know, what, one small thing that I ended up learning about and, and hadn't really thought much about was, you know, when we were writing about the characters, my, my editor suggested that you, you can't just give them cell phones. You actually have to talk about how technology has changed uh, children's lives. And so I, I had to add a section where the, the, the children in the story actually have like a YouTube channel where they're, they're producing content, which is just something that obviously is unfathomable to me when I was uh, 11 years old. You know? So I think like some of the stuff I've learned about the world of, of children in the 21st century is, um, has been eye-opening, but uh, that's part of the process of a writer. Do you have any tour stops lined up? Any opportunities to meet children? Well, uh, I am going to be at the American Librarian Association convention in Philadelphia soon. Uh, I think it's on January 26th. Um, but I th- and I think I'm still waiting for them to finalize some of the events I'll be doing at uh, schools. I'm, I'm, I, we, we haven't gotten that all wrapped up yet, but I'm, I'm told that they're actually going to have me sit down and talk to kids about my book, which is a little intimidating to me. I've done I've done book events where I've read for my book, but this I think this is going to be a little different. Um, but I most likely we're going to do events in New York, uh, Philly, maybe uh, Washington D.C., and maybe somewhere on the West Coast. But we don't know just yet. But but yes, I have been warned it will it will involve like probably me sitting in front of a classroom, which is slightly terrifying. But I, I think I'll I'll manage. You mentioned some of the cinematic influences for Spark. Is there a dream director you have in mind were it to transition to the screen? Oh, wow. Um, (laughs) You know, (laughs) there's a devil on my shoulder saying, hey, John Carpenter should do it. Uh, But I think that would be wildly inappropriate for kids, probably. I think he would end up doing it where it was too subversive and too violent, probably. Uh, Geez, I don't know. Um, yeah, maybe we can get somebody like, uh, Tim Burton to do it. I don't know. That seems like up his, that seems like in, in his, uh, wheelhouse, probably something weird and quirky like that. And looking ahead, do you have any more children's books on the horizon? Well, we are working on a sequel to, uh, Spark. Uh, it's going to be called Spark and the Final Light. 
uh, final light is a term from the book. So you'll have to read to find out what that means. But uh, that's actually, it's, it's a wild time for me right now because that book is due uh, around the same time that the, the first Spark book comes out. So I have a very busy uh, winter and early spring ahead of me where I'm you know, trying to get the first draft of that finalized so that uh, we can uh, hand that over to Quirk. I mean, this is one of the uh, interesting aspects of, of middle grade publishing is that if you're going to try to do something like a series, uh, you have to get the books out kind of back to back because middle grade, typically we're talking about nine to 12 year olds. So you only have a limited window to really complete a series if you want to have the same readers. So uh, this is one of the challenges that we're facing. But yeah, it's only one more book in that series just uh, to wrap up the story. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me about the book. Thank you so much for having me. Once again, I've been speaking with Robert Rapino about his new novel, Spark and the League of Ursus, which is due out on April 21 from Cork Books. Thank you for listening to PW KidsCast. Cast.